I'm Dawn Burns. I'm the publisher of the Nashville Mom website. Uh, God really put a desire on my heart about 13 years ago to move to Nashville. Um, even before I had even visited Nashville, for some reason, um, that dream was planted. Four years ago, the opportunity finally came up for um, a job opportunity for my husband, Seth, and we uh, jumped at it, and within about a month's time, we packed up and, and moved here. It took me a while to to find a place that felt like home uh, as far as a, a job opportunity for me here. I had connected with uh, a lady who started uh, my website, The Nashville Mom. Her name is Lindsay. And then Lindsay decided to start another business. And I just really was sad to see that go away. Um, and just over some conversations that I had with my husband, he could tell that it was something I really um, was kind of passionate about and he just continued over a couple months time to encourage me just to reach out to her and, and see if I could come on and help. It took her a little bit of time. I kind of felt like I'd asked her for one of her children, you know, um, but she really just said, hey, I want you to take it and run with it. It really was stepping out, um, trying to be a little more fearless in the situation and I think sometimes when we are scared that that's when God's working that's when he's saying he's pushing you he's um, kind of encouraging you to take that step of faith because you never know um, what roads or doors may open through I really feel like this was one of those dreams I just didn't know that was there and I can see uh, his purpose the purposes he's given me um, through it so it's really been neat to see how it's all worked out and how um, little by little he kind of was planning those dreams in my heart and uh, now they've come to fruition. So this entire series, um, uh, which is really a, a summer study for us, uh, we'll, we'll start out each week with this testimony, this, this I am David moment, this, this I am this character, I, I am using the one life that I've been given um, to seek after um, the one king who does live on a throne, who is Jesus Christ. Um, and so we get these little stories and snippets of what God is doing in people's lives. And, and this one I love because we've known Dawn for lots of years and found out, okay, well, she's this Nashville mom. And, and you look on, online or on social media or in some sort of platform or in some sort of investment that's going on in our city, and there's like thousands and thousands of people following this and engaging this and, 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 and receiving some sort of influence by this, and she's just an kind of unassuming mom. Somebody that you wouldn't naturally peg as the person who in our city has all these people trying to check out, like, what's she doing and what's she saying and why does it matter and how can I connect with others through what's happening here? We're going to start kind of at the beginning um, with an Old Testament character named David, who we would have some level of familiarity with because as a kid, if you grow up in any sort of situation where you're learning any sort of stories from Scripture, you're engaging the guy who killed the giant with the stones. That's David. Well, then he eventually becomes the, the king of Israel. And if you grow up at all attending a service on Christmas or, or you're going to church at all in December, you're going to hear at some point that Jesus Christ was the promised seed of who King David, who ultimately came to rule Israel. And so we're going to engage that story. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them up to the book of 1 Samuel. Um, we were at kids camp this week with my oldest daughter who's in fifth grade, graduating, going on to middle school next year. And so I, I was doing that and I realized that there was, I was engaging fourth grade boys. Me and a couple other leaders, we were in charge of 24 fourth grade boys. And I realized at the beginning of the week that one of the things that they could do to kind of earn points in this color war, this point system that they had was to, to name all 66 books of the Bible. And so I was like, oh, I got to freshen up to make sure that if they say it, they get it right. And so 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. So it's definitely towards the beginning of your Bibles. And so if you want to go there, you can go ahead and be finding chapter 16. We're going to go through that entire chapter today. Uh, we're going to read verse by verse at, at some point in its entirety. But as you're finding it, as you're getting ready, if you're pulling it up on a mobile device or you're just going to trust that we'll put the words on the screen later for you in the service, we will. You can ready yourself for 1 Samuel 16. I want you to think of this question. Have you ever been somewhere and, and you literally looked around and said, I have no idea how I got here. I have no idea how I got here. It, it was five years ago that we started taking elementary school kids on, on a summer camp experience. The, the first moment, and I was on that initial team who launched Rolling Hills Kids Camp. And I remember very distinctly that first summer getting woken up in the middle of the night by one of the lady leaders. And she's like banging on the door. She's sending me text messages. She's calling me. She's trying to get me out of bed. She wants me to come out of the cabin and find out like what's going on because one of the little girls at camp had gone out sleepwalking. And the particular camp that we were at had doors that like exited the building. They weren't like cabin doors where your bedroom also had a door. And if you walked out of it, you'd be in a common living space like we are now. They were actually outdoors. And we're on this full camp, beautiful setting, lots of woods, probably some critters, and definitely a recreation lake. And so our mama and daddy wheels started spinning what if. What if this child had gotten out of her room and started walking and landed in the woods and we didn't know where she was, we didn't find her till the next morning? Panic attack. Okay, what if, what if, what if she stumbled in the lake? What if she wasn't a strong swimmer? She didn't have her life vest on. Like, like the worst case scenario moments started happening, so we devised a plan as leaders we had shifts in the middle of the night that we all had to be awake to make sure that this one child who apparently had a tendency to sleepwalk in the middle of the night, her mother did not let us know that in advance, by the way. <laughs> this one child who had a tendency to sleepwalk in the night all of a sudden didn't wake up, leave her building, and land somewhere that we had no idea where she was. I was a kid who sleptwalked. One time, I woke up early on a Saturday morning in the bathtub, screamed out for my mom. It's like, what? She's like, she runs in. She's like, why are you here? And I was like, I have no you have no idea how you got there. You, you've been in a setting like that. I watched all of the seasons of a television show called Lost, and I remember every single episode was just one piece of the puzzle after another of how these people got where they were in that moment. You, you wake up and you realize, I have no idea how I got here. And then there's some more serious moments in life. When you're standing in line um, in a beautiful parlor, you're, you're wearing some kind of nice outfit, and, and person after person after person after person is, is coming to offer some congenial comment, some, some, some nice condolence, because your person in life is now gone, and you're standing, how did I get here? How did I become the one standing here receiving friends instead of the person in line offering support? Or maybe it's it's the divorce window. It's the end of a relationship. It's an end of an era, and you're, you're sitting in front of some paperwork, and you're, you're, you're getting ready to sign on the dotted line. The mediation's already happened. The, the moments have already... The, 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 the constant, like, the, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What, all, all the pro, It's all occurred, and, and, how, and you look back and you reflect over whatever season of life you had. Like, how, how did I get here? How did it come to this? We, how, how, how did we get here? And a couple of years ago, uh, a group of faithful people who, who love Jesus and love his church looked around um, and, and saw that it was now smaller and, and maybe didn't have the particular outreach that it once did and, and had to answer the question, how did we get here? 
how, how did we get to this point? How did we get to this space? How did we get to this moment in our lives? Well, here we are. You have a moment when you're like, I'm not quite sure how I got here, but I am here. And what am I going to do with it? That's where this story takes us today. You have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says this, that the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? See, there was a king before David. His name was Saul. David wasn't Israel's greatest king, but he wasn't Israel's first king. That was a guy named Saul. And he said, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. The Christmas ears perk because you're like, oh, Bethlehem. Yes, trivia question. That's where Jesus was born. Same family, same heritage, same lineage. That's where we're going to find King David. It says, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. We're getting there. It says in verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. You see, that's the privilege of a king. If somebody does something you don't like, they can off with your head. Here we go. Samuel's a little nervous. The Lord said, take a, a little uncomfortable saying this word, heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And I just breezed over it. Like that's, if you come up with a word in scripture that you don't know how to pronounce or you're really uncomfortable saying, just go fast. Um, I'll take a with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me. That means smear with oil. It means cover with a sacrificial anointing oil to indicate that somebody is being set apart for a specific special service. You're going to anoint one of his sons with oil and that's going to indicate that he is the one that I have chosen. So anoint him with oil. Samuel in verse 4 it's always a good verse to underline, did what the Lord said. If you don't hear anything else that we say this morning, how about we just try our best to be a people who do what the Lord says. It says, when he arrived at Bethlehem, um, Uber, Lyft, took him there. Like the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Like he has a reputation. Samuel's coming to the community. When they met him, they trembled. They asked, do you come in peace? Because the prophets of God often brought bad news. Said Samuel said, yes, I, I, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. How do you think, I mean, who do you want to be in this story? I want to be Eliab. I want to be the guy that first glance everybody assumes, oh, he's it. He's it, number one draft pick. We just had that here in Nashville. Um, I would settle for being the kid on the kickball court that got picked first when we started to do shirts and skins. Like I just, you know, that kind of, this is, this is him. This is the one who's, surely it's this guy. Big, strong, tall, accomplished, smart, ready for the task. Surely this is it. And if at first glance, somebody looks at you and says, absolutely, you're the one, probably want to run. But Eliab was there that day. And the Lord said to Samuel in, in verse 7, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, we think we got to get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to find gospel. We think we have to get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, born of a virgin, laid in a manger, gone to die on a cross and suffer for the sins of humanity, and then raise up so that we might know God. There's gracious good news all throughout Scripture, and this is a real good one. The Lord doesn't look at the appearance or the height. Lord doesn't look at our accomplishments. He doesn't look at our degrees. He doesn't look at all the things that people look at. 
It says people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's it's good news. Then Jesse called uh, Benadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. You see, Samuel learned from that moment. The Lord's not looking at his outward appearance. Like, Abinadab may be awesome, a fine specimen of a man. Like, sign him up for the bachelor. Like, let's get him out there. He's the one. No, Samuel's learned. God's not looking at those things. The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. I have, I have no idea what the grocery bill was. Seven sons. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Imagine being Samuel and all the boys pass by. You're a little perplexed because God's told you you're going to pick out one of Jesse's sons. You're going to anoint him as the next king over Israel. And then one by one, Jesse's sons all pass before Samuel. And one by one, God whispers into Samuel's ear, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. Like you've played the game as a kid, not it. Like that's it. This is not it. And so he says, well, is, this, is this all you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and and handsome features. Some of that just kind of means he had like freckles and messed up hair. Like he just, he probably smelled like a little boy, like my six-year-old who goes out and jumps on the trampoline and shoots basketball and plays with the bunny rabbits and he comes inside and I'm like... You smell like a boy. Like, that's it. Like, that's, uh, there's no other way to describe it except for, like, sweaty six-year-old. You come in, and, and you, know, like, you know that smell. And, and so David comes in. He's been tending sheep. He, he probably, like other like, teenage sons at this point, he, he didn't wash his hands when he comes in. He's like, hey, you got to go wash your hands. You know what? He comes in, and he's, he's ruddy. He had a fine appearance. He was young. Didn't, didn't, didn't need to shave. Like, he was, he was a kid. And the Lord said... Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit, if you're going to underline things in your Bible because you want to be a type of person that underlines things in your Bible so that if anybody ever kind of like leans over and catches that, hey, whoa, they're a person that has things underlined in their Bible. That's a big deal. Underlined spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went to Ramon a few minutes. We'll, we'll pick back up with verse 14. But we want, we want to know how did we get here? How how on earth did we land to this point in the story? How did we get to the point of the conversation where God says to a prophet named Samuel, hey, I need you to go and pick a new king. Israel already has a king, but I need you to go and pick a new one. You see, in the beginning of the world, God created everything that we have. And he set up this garden and he put two people in. And if this was like a quiz show with a bunch of elementary school kids in the world, he'd be like, hey, can anybody tell me who the first two people in the garden were? And some kid would shoot up their hands or some kid who doesn't like to shoot up their hands would just shout out the answer from the back, Adam and Eve. And then we would talk about the garden and how God had perfect communion with these two individuals that he had created in his image. And everything was perfect until the moment when they sinned. They willfully chose to disobey this one piece of instruction that God had given them to prevent them from pain and suffering in life. He had set up a boundary and they stepped across that line and suffered the consequences of it. So much so that every single human born of a woman from that point out, which is all of us, is born in the sin of our creation. Like we're separated from God. Uh, The garden was shut, angels like guarding the entrance, nobody entering into that kind of communion with God again because man was now sinful and separate from God. And the story continued. How did we get here? 
people multiplied as people have a tendency to do, and their wickedness multiplied exponentially around them, so much so so that the wickedness in the world exceeded probably even the wickedness that we see today, and so God decided to destroy the earth, but to save out of his grace, out of his love, out of his perfection, out of the story that he was writing, he chose this guy named Noah, and he saved his family on a boat. And so as a little kid, you know, half the stories that you learn from the Bible all come from the book of Genesis. Like, well, there was Noah and an ark and all the animals. They came in by two, one male, one female, and then God saved parts of his creation and then their families populated the rest of the earth. How do we get to this point in the story? Well, God looked at the people on the earth. He looked at the diversity on the earth. He looked at still the continuing wickedness and the sin on the earth. And out of it, he selected one guy and one guy's family that he was going to choose to use to bless all mankind for all eternity. He picked this guy named Abraham. And as your kid, you sing this song, Father Abraham had many sons. Well, that's a weird song because the problem is Abraham didn't have many sons. He didn't have any sons. And God promised him that he would be the father of many nations. And they laughed about it because they thought, how is this possible? Because they had gotten really, really old. And God opened up the womb of his wife and she was able to bear a son And that son eventually became this 12 tribes of God's people, and they multiplied. And they multiplied so, so much, well, then a famine came to the land. And none of the great-grandsons, this guy Joseph, was sold into slavery, and he ended up in Egypt, and he grew up in that town. And it was kind of crazy because his brothers hated him, and we've got all this, like, really, like, carnal problems going on within that family. I've got problems in my family. You may have problems in yours. There's problems in the biblical narrative families. How did we get here? We get there because of our problems. And so Joseph ends up in Egypt, and the people need food, and there's food in Egypt, but there's no food anywhere else. And so his brothers come, and they land in Egypt. And he it's a long story, but he sets up shop for them so that God's people live there. Well, then Joseph died, and that whole generation died, as people have a tendency to do. And then all of a sudden, there was a lot of Israelites, a lot of Abraham's seed, a lot of God's people living in Egypt. And a pharaoh came on who said, wait, there's too many of them. What if they revolt? What if they rebel? What if they try to take us over? You know, we're Egypt. We're strong, and so we need to unite. And so they made them slaves. They made them work so hard and they made them work so poor that they wouldn't have the energy to fight back. But God's people continued to multiply until eventually a woman gave birth to a boy, a boy that should have been killed in the moment because the Pharaoh had sent out an edict that all of the Hebrew boys had to be killed, but she gave birth to her son. And out of her bravery, she saved him. His name was Moses. And he grew up, you know, said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Frogs and plagues and all kinds of stuff came. And eventually the Pharaoh said, yeah, absolutely, get out of town. And so they, they marched out of Egypt. As, you know, then, of course, the Egyptians had like this turn of heart. What are we going to do? And so they started chasing them down. And so when that happened, Moses, you know, stretched out his staff. The Red Sea parted. They crossed on dry ground. And then the water came back and all the Egyptians drowned. Like these are stories in Scripture. And God gave Moses a law, these commandments, so that, so that his people the people that he had chosen would know how to govern themselves and know how to live their lives. They wandered around a wilderness for 40 years because of their own disobedience, and finally they got to enter the land. Moses died. His successor was Joshua. They marched into a city they didn't build, to homes they didn't build, to a town they didn't make, and they won. God gave them a land that he promised to give their great, 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 great ancestor Abraham, who had no children at the time. They marched in generations later, and now they all had a home. But in that home, you know what they did? They did what they always did. They sinned. They sinned and rebelled against God. And he would send disciplinary action named Moabites or disciplinary action named Philistines or disciplinary action to come and help the people recognize their ultimate need for God. So Judges, that's a book in the Bible, Judges and Prophets. They came to lead the people back to God and his purpose for who he had created them to be. How did we get here in the story? We got here in the story because one of those judges, one of those prophets was a fellow named Samuel. 
And, and his mother prayed that she would get to have him. She was barren and didn't have any children. She prayed earnestly and she begged and she pleaded with God to give her a son. And she made a promise that if God would give her a son, she would give him right back to God. Well, she birthed Samuel and she gave him right back to the Lord. He served in the Lord's temple service until he was a grown-up guy and he became the, the leader of God's people. And then the people looked around and they saw all the surrounding nations. And all of those surrounding nations had something that Israel did not have. You see, Israel had a prophet. Israel had a judge. Israel had a connection to the one true God creator of this universe. But they got greedy and that wasn't enough. So if you land in 1 Samuel chapter 8, people got together and they looked at Samuel and they said, you're too old. Oh man, no one ever wants to hear that. You're too old. And your sons did not follow your ways. Oh, no one ever wants to hear that. As a, as, a, as a person, I don't want to hear I'm too old. But as a dad, I don't want to hear that my kids don't follow my ways. But it happens to us. Some, some of you as parents, some of you as, as people are looking at your kids and their lives and you're, you're in that sleepwalk state and you, and you wake up and you... Look at grown-up Joe, who's no longer believes in the faith that you instilled in their life as a child. Or grown-up Sally, who's completely walked away from the Lord and entered into a life that you know that God did not pick for her. And you wake up in the sleepwalk saying, you're like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got to this point. I wonder if Samuel knew how he got to that point where he was old and his sons did not follow in his ways. And so the people said, appoint for us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And there's a sermon there. It's a public service announcement because wanting something simply because someone else has it, generally a, a really bad idea. But, but God obliged. He, he warned them and said that your king was going to run you ragged. And your king was going to destroy the way of life that you have if you're following my will. But okay, I'll give you a king. And he anointed Saul as king over Israel. And Saul wanted to be good. And Saul had some great moments where Saul was following the Lord. But Saul got nervous and he got impatient and he got disobedient. And he stepped outside the bounds of what God had for him. And so God said, no, you're not going to be the king anymore. And he rejected his kingship over Israel and wanted to anoint another king. This king was David. And I often wonder if I look back in the, the, the perfect sovereignty of God, who ultimately knew that that was going to happen to Saul, allowed that to happen in Saul's life, and allowed that to happen in the kingdom of Israel, so that his people could see the difference between the two, the contrast between the two. Because sometimes, if I'm going to know what the right path is, I have to see it in comparison and contrast to the wrong one. So for David to come up and to be, always be remembered, even in spite of his own sin, as a man after God's own heart, I wonder if we would have known that. I wonder if we would have indicated that. I wonder if we would have readily received David as a man after God's own heart if we had not also first seen a man that was not after God's own heart. It's comparison and contrast. You see, I know the moments in my life when I'm walking my own direction. And I also know the moments in my life when I'm following closely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think that the reason I know the moments in my life when I'm walking closely with the Lord Jesus Christ and when I know the moments in my life when I'm walking fresh in the Spirit of God that lives in me because of Jesus Christ, sometimes the reason I know it is because I know what it's like to not have it. And I know what it's like to not be it. 
It's a comparison and a contrast kind of moment. We have King Saul who went his own way, who was impatient, who didn't wait on God, and he didn't wait on Samuel, and he stepped outside the plan that God had for his people so that God was going to anoint another king. And I love that. Throughout this entire story, we see this picture of the gospel because God rejects sin, disobedience, but yet he chooses people. He rejects sin, but he chooses people. He rejected Saul as king over Israel, yet he chose one of Jesse's sons to be that king. And that's a really important fact for us, the fact that God chose David to be king. Because so much of my life, I feel like, is based on my choosing. And so much of your life, I know, I mean, we live in a free place, is is based on your choosing and your design and and your desires. And I, I think that sometimes we approach faith like we approach Chili's. And we go and we like, okay, Chili's got a really big menu. I get to choose from it what I want, and I get to kind of pick and piece a meal together, and I can make substitutions on the way. I'm always a hold-the-mayo kind of guy. Like when you go to a restaurant, some places, you look at the menu, you look at all the options, and you choose what you want. And if what you want isn't 100% to your liking, you can make substitutions to make it even better. And when we approach faith, when we approach this word like it's a menu from Chili's, I'm going to say, you know what, I like what's on page 777. But I'm going to have to hold a little bit of that right there off my plate. Like we approach faith like we approach a menu as if you and I get to choose and pick apart the parts of this that we want to believe and the parts of this that we're willing to follow and the parts of this that we're willing to accept as truth. Our faith journey isn't a menu at Chili's. Our faith journey is dining at the chef's table. You see, one time and one time only in my life, I was speaking at a camp retreat center out in Seattle. And sometimes when you go to camp retreat centers... You just eat the food that the kids eat, which is like chicken nuggets and corn dogs, and it's tragic. And sometimes even the salad bar is not that good. That's where we just took the Rolling Hills kids. But one time I went to speak at this camp out in Seattle, and first of all, it was beautiful, and the trees overwhelmed me. And I'm seeing that sometimes the, the churches are just so nice, and they just want to take care of you, and they want to bless you in great ways. And so at the end of the week, it was a really great week, that the youth pastor and his wife and some of the leadership team took me to this restaurant in downtown Seattle, and it was a restaurant that you didn't, you didn't order. For. You could order from the menu. You get the small, like the tapa, small plates, like really good stuff. Or you could go in. It wasn't even written on the front and back. You could go in and just say, we want to order the chef's menu tonight. And the executive chef, whatever he or she wanted to prepare is what they brought. Finest, nicest, fanciest, can't pronounce any of it food I've ever eaten in my life. Bible's not a menu at Chili's where you get to pick. Hold the onions, please. God. Faith is the chef's table where he chooses for us. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He says in John chapter 15, verse 16, these very important words, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Book of Ephesians, Paul's summing that up and explaining it for us, that, that, that God chose us in him before the creation of the world to do what? To be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. When we approach faith as it's something that we choose, you can get what chilies will get you. Good food, cheap fares, clean bathrooms, it's great. But when we approach faith as something that God chooses for us, 
we're freed up to experience a buffet like we have never even imagined. He chose us. Well, he chose David. And he didn't choose David because he was like Eliab. He didn't choose David because he was like Shammai. He didn't choose David because he was like Abinadab. He chose David because of his heart. And I love that good gospel verse, that, 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 that man looks at an outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That's, that's good news for us, that God's economy is always, 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 always different than mankind's evaluation. 2016 Journal of Pediatric Study of Children, ages 9 to 14, some of which I just went to camp with, some of which at Rolling Hills are leaving to go to camp tomorrow. Nine, like, nine, like fourth graders, third and fourth grade kids through 14-year-olds are middle schoolers. Like, nah, over half of the girls and boys in that category are dissatisfied with their body shape. Fast forward, 91% of all women are unhappy with theirs. And they resort to unhealthy practices in order to achieve that ideal shape. Studies also show, you're not going to be surprised by this, that the more reality television, reality, let's put that in air quotes, reality television that a young girl watches, the more likely she is to find appearance important. That the more reality, like reality American television that a young girl watches, the more likely she is to look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 and reject it. Lord, I will take, listen, listen, I will take 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 through 6, but I want you to hold verse 7 because I've chosen to believe the myth that reality television has told me that appearance matters and it matters a lot. Like, I'll read that you wanted to choose a new king. I'll read that it wasn't Eliab. I'll read that it wasn't Abinadab. I'll read that it wasn't Shema. But when you say these words, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, I want you to hold that off my plate, God, because I would instead choose to believe a lie that the world tells me that my appearance matters more than it should. If we were to take a survey... Everybody in the room, hands up. How many of you ever, ever, ever at any point in your life, age nine on, ever felt bad um, about your weight, that the number was too high or, or that the number was too low? Hands would go up all over the room. You may be sitting in this seat thinking, yeah, I'm probably the only one who feels that way, but no, it, it would, lit a sea of hands would raise. How many of you ever, raise your hands, I mean, like, come on, like, if we could take a survey in the room, like, like, jot it in, how many of you have ever been made to feel somehow less than, somehow bad, because of your height, right, too, 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 too short, too tall, because of your, because of your skills, because of your abilities? I was born in Montgomery, Alabama. There's, there's, there's not a bigger football country. You were Auburn or Alabama, and you were big, and you played it, and I was a kid who liked music and games. So if somebody were standing before me and I were sitting where you were sitting, a guy on stage says, how many of you were ever made to feel bad because of a lack of ability or, or even because of a lack of perceived masculinity? My hand would go up because I felt different than the other boys in the playground. I felt less likely to be strong, less likely to be picked, less likely to be liked because of a, 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 a way that God made me a little bit, I like theater, like performing, I like I like art, I like drawing and sketching, like, and I, and I grew to understand that all, the, all those unique gifts in me, that all those unique abilities in me, that all those things that, that 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 make me who I am today, were things that I needed to hide as a kid because 
it wouldn't make me like the other kids, and it might get you picked on. I like the bullying that's high in the world today. Like, some, how many of you are ever bullied growing up? Like, the hands would go up all across the room. Because you didn't look a certain way, or you didn't act a certain way, or you didn't feel a certain way, or you didn't connect with others in a certain way. So we take comfort in, in a verse that says that God's economy is always different than mankind's perceptions or evaluations of, of who we are as people. The Lord said, don't consider his appearance or his height. We can look at education, abilities. Right? Don't consider any of that. I've rejected that. The same way that he rejected Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, he was rejecting all of that. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, he says, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. That's good news. So we ask ourselves today, are, are you that person that's more concerned with how you look or how others look on the outside or who you are becoming on the inside? And if we were to take that survey, hands raised, which, which are you more concerned with? Chances are good that we would see them, that we would see them spike up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more troubled. I'm more concerned. I, I take more issue with who I am on the outside and the way that I'm perceived by others than I do the way that I am perceived and chosen by God. Chapter continues. It says in verse 14, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul in an evil spirit. Some of your Bibles say troubled spirit. Some of your Bibles say difficult spirit from the Lord had tormented him. And we take issue with that verse, like, wow, how could God send something evil into Saul's life? How could God allow something that felt like a punishment in God's li Saul's life? Like, how in the world would that be possible? But God did it in order to create a difference between who Saul was and who David was and to indicate his perfect plan for people to give us Jesus. There was a, a right way in the world and a wrong way in the world, and God was indicating that for people. And it says, Saul's attendant said to him, see... An evil spirit, a troublesome spirit from God is tormenting you. We don't have to read that as demon. We just read it as like that sense of urgent conviction. You're troubled. Let our Lord commend his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. That's a musical instrument. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you'll feel better. How many of you, music makes you feel better? So Saul said to his tenants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered. It's a coincidence. No, it's God's choosing I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man. He's a warrior. He speaks well. He's a fine-looking young guy, and the, and the Lord is with him. Look at David's resume. He's, he's, he's now a, a brave man. He's now a warrior. He speaks really well, and he's fine-looking. But out of all of that, he plays musical instruments, too. All the ladies are like, That's, where's that guy in my life? Like, if he's good-looking and well-spoken and plays the guitar, pray, Lord, bring him. Let the Lord's anointed stand before me. But the best part of it is that the Lord was with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I'm pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and he would play, and then relief would come to Saul. We want to get mad that in verse 14, God allowed this difficult spirit to come on Saul, but God also allowed somebody to come in his life to make it better. You, you and I have those people. That's difficulty from the Lord, and then and he puts a person in your life who just... 
like balm on a scab, just makes it better. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Get mad about the evil spirit. Get excited about the goodness of God that provided David in the moment. In our lives, all the resume, all the warrior, all the, the fine looking, all the, all the, all the well spoken, all the great characteristics and awesome things about you, the best part is that the Spirit of the Lord is on you. That's what we want more than anything. In our life, nothing matters more than the Spirit of the Lord. In our life, we're, we're going to find that nothing matters more when we feel like the Spirit of the Lord departs. And nothing matters more when we feel like the Spirit of the Lord is there. Right there on you. And I want to be a person who walks in that Spirit, who lives by that Spirit, who understands that the Spirit is present in my life to help me understand Scripture so that I can apply it to my life. I wonder if in that moment, David had a recollection of being a kid running out chasing sheep. And then he sat in the king's palace playing his musical instrument feeling all that good air conditioning and thought to himself, wow, how did I get here? Like, how did I go from being the youngest kid in the family, the one that, the one that got picked on, the one that the older brothers were putting in a headlock? and like, How did I go from being that guy, chasing down the sheep, to playing a musical instrument in the king's court? God's choosing. We have connection dinners at our home like just to help people build relationships and to tell them more about the life of the church. You want to get invited to a connection dinner, fill out that card at the end and we'll get to know you a little better and we'll say, hey, come to our house, let's have dinner. And we always go around the circle like, hey, how did, you, how did you get here? How did you get to Nashville and how did you hear about Rolling Hills? And the stories are always so various. Like God just brings all, like all different reasons, like all different ways of getting to Nashville, all different ways of finding this church, all different ways of showing up on a Sunday morning. Some of it, they saw the sign on the front. Some of it, they see, saw a mailer in the area. Some of it, they found the Franklin campus first and then realized this one was closer. Some of it was a friend of a friend invited somebody to come. Some of it was an internet website church. But how, how did you get here? Did you ever wake up and look around and think, I have no idea how I got here, but I'm glad I am. The real answer to that question of how you got here is that God chose you to be here. I believe with all my heart that he picked that seat that you're sitting in this morning. And that he knew on June the 2nd, 2019, that you would be the one in it. And he didn't do it because you were really smart, or really fit, had that six-pack, looked real good on TV. Like He didn't do that because of any of the outside. He did it because of what he wants to do with the heart on the inside. And so what we say to the great God of this universe is that we want to be a people who are filled up with the spirit of the Lord and who seek after the heart of God. Not because we chose you, not because we're awesome in that regard, but ultimately because you, out of your grace and out of your gospel and out of your ability to see what was on the inside, you chose us. We're going to ask all summer long in this study of David how we got here. And somehow or another, it's going, to, it's going to invite the Spirit of God to show us not just how we got here, but why we are here and what he wants us to do while we are here. Because God has a purpose for your life, and he has a plan for you being right in the seat that you're in today. And what I pray is that you will discover what that is and not just what it's for, but who it's for.
Because church, he's going to use us to make a difference. Look around at who's in this room right now with you. Six months from now, I believe with, with, every, with everything that's inside of me, it won't just be us in six months. There'll be more. And six months after that, it, it won't just be us. There'll be more. More people that God chose to come and be our family, to come and be our friends, to come and be those people in our lives that make us feel better when we're down. Help us understand this word better. Help us engage the heart of God even more. And his church will grow. And Christ's name will be proclaimed in this community and all over the world because of it. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the people that you're choosing to come alongside us here and for the reason that you're choosing them. We, we, we thank you for the purpose in Jesus that you have for each one of us and for the collective purpose of us as a church that you want to use to make your name great in this community and around the world. God, this morning I pray for maybe individuals in this room because um, there are people that are wrestling. Just the burdens and the anxiety and the fear of what we look like on the outside and the way the rest of the world might perceive us. It, it clouds our judgment, God. And we want to be people who rest in the comfort and in the good news that you are more concerned with what's on the inside and the heart of the people that we are becoming in Christ. Thank you, God, that your economy is different. Thank you, God, that you didn't wait for us to choose you, that you didn't wait for us to wake up and come to our senses and look at where we were and say, no, I want Jesus, that, that you, out of your goodness, chose us to be your people who would go and bear fruit, but not just any kind of fruit, fruit that would last Fruit that won't spoil because it's based on the economy of this world, but fruit that will last because it's based on the economy of Jesus and his sacrifice. That he loved us enough to give his life so that we would be yours, so that we could call you father, so that we could be called your kids. Father, for those of us who have wandered, stepped away, lived life down a path that we know you didn't choose for us. But we picked it off the menu of the world for ourselves. Father, I pray that we would find forgiveness. That we would understand the reason that Jesus came. And that out of that, we would be reconciled to you in a new way. That God, we would even be thankful for the contrast in our lives. For the moments where we've been so unfaithful so that we could understand even better what it's like to be faithful. And Father, for friends in this room that have a particular struggle that they just want to talk and pray, Father, I pray that they would be bold enough to, to do that, to recognize it, to state it, and to ask for help in that moment. Because as a church, that's what we want to be, and we want to be it in Christ. Father, as we come to you today as a broken, messy, dirty, sometimes out in the yard, playing and smelling like little boy sheep people, we thank you that in spite of all of who we are, you chose us to be yours anyway. So in the name of Jesus, we pray blessings on this day. Amen.
This time I want to invite the ushers to come forward. It's, our, it's a time of giving in our worship service where we, we say to God, you've been so generous to us, we want to give back to you. It's the way we participate collectively in a mission. If you're a first-time guest with us today, really all we ask is that you drop in that connection card so that we can follow up with you this week and help you build those relationships so that we can find out how you got here and explain a little bit more about what we think God's going to do with you now that you are. If you're somebody that's looking to connect in a new way and, and try to take whatever that next step is, whether it's public declaration of your faith in Jesus through baptism or, or, or officially uniting with this church as a partner, somebody that's a brother or sister here that says, hey, we're going to link arms and do church life together. If you just want to even know more about that, check that box on the next step portions of your card. Drop it in. I'll follow up with you this week and we'll talk about what the next steps are. If there's a way to serve that you're looking at and thinking, hey, I, I don't want to just come and sit. I want to participate. We would love to help you find a team that's going to use your gifts and your abilities to glorify God here and to help us reach this community together. Whatever next step you need to take, we ask that you would just help us know what it is so that we can help you walk through that door. God, take the offering that you get today, not just the financial one, but the livelihood one, the one that we say you can have us, God. Take it and receive it as the gift that it's intended to be for your glory, because you're good and because we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.